Well, good morning. My name's Chet. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, grab your Bibles. Go to Philippians chapter 1. This is the last week in our Soul Care series. Uh, we've taken four weeks to just try to uncover um, some of our sin, some of our idolatry, some of the things that have affected how we view God and how we uh, relate to Him and relate to each other. And um, it, it hopefully has been heavy and helpful. When I was growing up, if you were, uh, if you'd hurt yourself and you were t telling my dad, if you'd say like, yeah, I hurt my arm or whatever, I got a bruise here, he'd say, come here, let me see. You get close to him and he put his hands around it real tenderly. He's a very gentle man. And then he would take his thumb and he would press it and say, is it hurt right here? And just push down on whatever was painful because um, he thought it was funny. And when I was about seven, my grandmother had hurt her arm. And it was very bruised. Y'all see where this is going? And so I said, let me see. I'm so sorry that happened. And she gave me her arm. And I said, does it hurt right here? And she had my thumb into it. Uh, and apparently this was inappropriate. <laughs> and it's hard for a seven-year-old to gauge what, what the context of things are. But it's different from father to son than from grandson to grandmother. Uh, when we do series like this, when we take time to investigate sin and pain and, and drag up some things from the past and try to look at our lives, sometimes it can feel like this is all we've done. Look at something painful and go, does it hurt right here? And just kind of poke at it rather than uh, actually being helpful. But that's, that's not the goal. The goal is as we investigate these things, we want to, to view this a lot more like if you had a rock in your shoe, you don't just muscle through. You stop, you take your shoe off, you get the rock out, and life gets to be better. And so the hope is, as we've investigated some of this, as we walk through this together, that we've seen some of our sin, but that we've seen some of the things that have hurt us from our past and some of the ways that we're affected by what people have done to us and the things that we've done, and that we take the time to stop and to get rid of it so that we can move forward without a limp. That's, that's our hope in this series. And last week, Spencer talked to us about the fact that we're capable of change. That you can change, and he kind of laid out for us a, a bit of a, a roadmap for that. But today, as we finish up the series, what, what we want to see is that if you belong to Jesus, you will change. Not just you're capable of it, but you will change. That he is going to make us into something whole and complete and cured. That if you're struggling with sin... If you're struggling with depression and anxiety, if you're struggling with uh, past things that seem like they loom over you like a cloud and dictate to you what life is going to be like from here on, if you have this thought of, I better just get used to this because this is how it's going to be forever, I want us to take courage this morning from Philippians to see that you are incorrect. If you belong to Jesus, it will not like, be like this forever. So let's pray and let's study this section of scripture together. God, we thank you for your word. And more than that, we thank you for your salvation in Christ. And we pray that as we study your word, that we would understand your work so that we might take courage and rest and that we might continue uh, to move forward in the hope of what you have accomplished for us and what you will accomplish in us. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So in Philippians chapter 1, Paul is writing from prison uh, to the church in Philippi. He was arrested for going around and presenting the gospel. It was causing a lot of trouble, but he, he kept at it. And he was arrested, and he's writing to the church uh, in Philippi. He's writing to the Philippians, and he has a good relationship with them. And they have consistently been good to him and partnered with him in ministry. And so we're going to pick up in verse 3. And we're going to take some encouragement from his words to them. We're going to see that they apply to us in Christ. So it says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul in prison says, every time I pray for you, I'm just filled with joy. I'm filled with thankfulness because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. Now, the gospel is the message, the news, the good news of what Jesus has done for us. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came, who lived a perfect, sinless life, who did not come to teach us how to be better, but came to save us out of our sin that he was crucified, that he was dead, that he was buried, that he rose again, and that we have hope in him, that all those who place their faith in him will be saved. And Paul went around proclaiming this message, and the people in in Philippi believed and then partnered with him so that more people could know this news. So he's in jail, and he writes, I'm so thankful for your partnership in the gospel. And one of the things that Paul's taking to encourage him in his walk with the Lord and in his midst of his difficulty as he faces persecution is that he's not alone. He's in prison, but he's writing and said, I'm so thankful that I'm not alone, that y'all have partnered with me in this. And that's one of the first things I want you to see, that as you walk in your desire to follow Jesus and you struggle against sin, you're not alone. That you have gathered this morning. That's why it's it's a gathering of the people who belong to the Lord. This is not an individual experience. That you're not alone. That you belong to a people. That you can be in a community group. Many of you are, most of you are, in community groups where you belong to a group of people and they're not allowed to get rid of you. That you get to walk out in life with them, following Jesus and being known by them and being loved by them, that they are partners with you in the gospel. See, the the Philippians had partnered with him in everything as far as how you would partner in the gospel. They partnered with him in repentance and faith. They had partnered with him in proclamation of the gospel and in persecution that comes when we proclaim the gospel. And so I want you to know that you're not alone. Every so often, our community group will, will just take a night where we just kind of tell our stories or we'll spend a couple of weeks just doing this, reminding everybody, here's, here's how I got here. Here's kind of who I am. And I love this because every time we do this, I'm reminded, oh, yeah, I'm not alone. Everybody has pain. Everybody has hurt. Everybody has bad decisions and sin and struggle. And Jesus is good. I'm not the only one here who's a sinner just trying to fit in with all these well-behaved people in my group, hoping they don't find me out. No, we all are here because Jesus is good and we're not alone. And so he takes courage in the partnership that they have. And I want you to do that as well. As you fight sin, you do not have to be alone that we have partnered in the gospel. Verse 6. And I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 
We'll spend most of our time there today, but let's look at verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So Paul says, I'm certain that he who began a good work and you is going to bring it to completion at the day of Christ, and it's right for me to feel this way because I love you. That's nice. I hold you in my heart. And he says, because... You're a partaker of grace with me. You've joined me in ministry that we've partaken in grace together. And I want you to know that that's the the qualifying thing for the statement that we're about to spend our time studying is have you partaken in grace? Have you seen your sin, repented of your sin, and asked Jesus for grace, which is unmerited favor, unearned love? That he would do the work on our behalf, that he would redeem us. Have you partaken in grace? Because Paul says, it's right for me to feel this way because you've partaken in grace with me. And then he gives, it's active grace, it's at work grace. It's not just you partaken in grace and then you moved on, but you partook in grace in, and he says, as displayed by in my imprisonment and in defending the gospel that you've joined in this. So let's go back to verse 6, and we're just going to break this statement down a little bit and spend our time here this morning. He says, I'm sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ is judgment day. That's the day of our Lord. That he comes and time's up. That he sets up his active rule and reign as king. This is when we were walking through the book of Matthew. This is when he has the sheep and the goats. This is when uh, it comes down and the, the, the master returns and sets his house in order. That's the day of Jesus Christ. And if you want to, you can go search in a Bible app or on the internet. Or if you have a concordance, which is a, a big book. You can look up the day of the Lord or the day of Christ and you'll see that that's what this is. And so what he's saying is that there's going to come a day when Jesus calls everybody to account and to give an account of themselves. And and that he's certain that on that day you'll be complete if you've partaken in the grace of Christ. That he's certain on that day that you'll be whole. And that... Doesn't that help your soul? Because of how incomplete we feel so often, how broken and how marred, and how much we feel like we've fallen short to think that on someday I'll be whole. I'll be complete. But I want us to see what he's putting this on. So if you will, just look ahead to your very last day. If you belong to Jesus, on that day you are complete. There's nothing out of alignment. There's nothing missing. There's nothing wrong with you. On that day, you'll stand before Christ complete. How? He says, I'm sure of this, that he, that's very important, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He does it. It's personal and it's powerful that it's done by Christ, that he began the work, you didn't begin the work, and he finishes the work, you don't finish the work. You're not done, but he's begun. And that he's going to bring you to completion, that he's going to fix you, finish you, complete you, make you whole. That's good news. 
that he is the one who empowers this. Jesus says, he gives a parable at one point in the Gospels, and he says that the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. It's like leaven that's put in a lump, and it takes over. Guess what? Your sin doesn't win if you belong to Jesus, and your desire to hold on to your sin doesn't win if you belong to Jesus. Sometimes it feels like we're wounded and we come to Jesus and he binds us up. Other times it feels like he hunts us down and wounds us and then binds us up. Sometimes we're, we're on board with the fixing that we're getting and other times we're going, please, please, please just let me keep this. And he's like, no, it's bad for you. That he actively works in you. It's not an impersonal thing, but it's Christ himself at work to bring us to fullness. So he is the one who supplies the power, and it's a promise. Paul says, I am sure of this. It's a certainty. Do you belong to Jesus? I'm sure that you will be brought and made complete. You will be whole. You will be fixed. You will be repentant. You will be changed. It's a certainty, and it's not because Paul believes in you. It's not because he believes in the Philippians. It's because he believes in Jesus. He says this elsewhere in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That means make you perfectly good. The sanctification is the process by which he actively, practically redeems us from sin now, that he sets us apart now. May he sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the same thing, that you'll be blameless, that you'll be complete on that day. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Oh, that's so good. Because it'd be a little scary if Paul wrote to the Philippians, I am sure of this, that on the day of Christ you will be complete. Because y'all are great. Because if there's one thing I know about the Philippians, is that y'all keep it together. If there's one thing I know about the Philippians, is that you make good choices. Galatians, not so sure. Corinthians, I'm sure, but it's the other direction. But you Philippians, I'm proud of y'all. You got this. You ever have anybody encourage you that way? You're trying to work something out? And they go, you got this. I know you. I trust you. You don't mess stuff up. You always end up making the right decision. We should hang out more. I've been with me my entire life. That is incorrect. There's part of you that takes that at first. You're like, yes, you're right. I am smart. I make the right decision. Then you leave and you go, wait, no, I don't. And now all this weights on me and this feels overwhelming. Now I've just got all this extra pressure. It's like it builds us up just to, to have more come crashing down on us. And Paul does not say to them, y'all got this because you're great. He says, he's going to do it. So I'm certain. He didn't say, I know you. He says, I know Jesus. Now that's good news. That when you stare right now in the face of your sin and your pain, and your weakness. It is not, can I muscle up enough to bring myself to the finish line? It's, will Jesus, who is faithful, be faithful? Yes, he will. Is Jesus, who is strong, be strong? Yes, he will. 
is Jesus who loved us so much that he would die for us. Will he keep loving us with that same type of love? Yes, he will. Will we stand complete? Yes, we will, because he will. That's the reality of this. That not only can we change, but we will change. But I want you to see something else. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. See that in? It's not just a work that he did for you, but it's a work that he's doing in you. That dramatically changes how this plays out. I heard a comedian say one time, I'm sick of following my dreams. I just want to find out where they're going and hook up with them later. And some of us in our growth in Christ want to be able to do the same thing. I just want to show back up when I'm all grown. I just want to, I just want to be there. Can I just get to the, to the end growth part? I just want to, like, can I just putter around and then just show up? When, and, and the answer is no. He's going to do this in you, which means that you'll be here the whole time. This process, empowered by him, and, and it's a promise carried out by him, will take place in you. So for you... What's it going to look like? Oh, it's going to look like a lot of work. Go to verse 8. I want you to see this. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment. I, I love that. One is if it abounds more and more, it means we grow in it. Paul says, I'm praying you grow. He says, I pray you abound in love. And as Americans, we're like, yes, love. All we need is love, love. We love that. We love love. Love's great. Love wins. Love. But he says, no, no, hold on. With knowledge and all discernment. I want you to grow in love, but not the stupid love that y'all have. Wise love. I want you to love the things you should love and not love the things you shouldn't love. And that's what we've been spending some time looking at. That's what idolatry is, is that we don't love God enough and we love other things that are worse more than we should. He says, I want you to abound in love, but I want it to be wise love, discerning love, love that's pointing in the right direction. And he says this, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Okay. He says, I'm certain of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. So I'm praying that you'll make good decisions so that you'll be pure and blameless at the day of Christ. Well, which is it? It's both. He's going to do this, but you're going to have to be there. And so his prayer is basically, I pray Jesus is going to do what Jesus said he's going to do. That's my prayer. That's a good prayer for you to have. Lord, do in me quickly what you said you're going to do. I added quickly, but I think it's okay. Sneak it in there. That I pray that you will change me and mold me into what you said you're going to change me and mold me into. And it's in you through him. So what's that look like? Well, he keeps going. In chapter 2, verse 12, he says this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now... Not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see it again? Obey, work, because he works in you. But what's it look like to us? It looks like obedience. I've said this before. I say it a lot because it's really helpful for me. But obedience and agreement are different. Agreement's nice. We can obey when we agree. It works out well. But obedience shows up where agreements differ. That we obey the Lord even when we disagree with him. So he says, obey and work. So what's it look like? Well, it, it looks like waking up early so you can read your Bible. Or staying up later so you can read your Bible. Or both because you need a lot of your Bible. It looks like psyching yourself up to show up to your community group. I love so much that we host our community group. All we have to do is psych ourselves up to unlock the door. I don't have to every week sit and go, okay, remember, remember it's good. You remember, you remember how you feel afterwards? Because there's always, right before it's time to leave, there's just like, huh, do I actually want to have to get in my car and use the steering wheel and press the thing with my foot? There is, there's some kind of pressure that pushes on us to not be around each other. And the reality is it's going to take some energy for you to go be around your group. It's going to take some energy for you to actually confess some sin. It's going to take some energy for you to pick up the phone and invite somebody to a thing or accept an invitation. It's going to take some energy for you to walk this out. It takes energy for you to show up in the morning. It's going to take some work. It's going to take some obedience. It's going to take you some times where you wrestle with the Lord and you say, I don't want to give this up, but I believe that you're good and I believe that you're doing something good in me, so I'm going to repent. So what he says in, in chapter 3, verse 12, he says it again. Not that I have already obtained this, talking about this resurrection, talk about being made new, or am already perfect. Isn't that nice? Paul doesn't think he's perfect. He isn't saying get on my level. He's saying, let Jesus do what Jesus is going to do. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I press, I work, I labor, I obey to make this my own, to become what he says I'm going to be, to receive this resurrection life because Christ has already done it in me. He's already made me his own, and he's promised he's going to bring me there, so I fight to get there. That's encouraging. Messes with our head a little bit. Is he going to do it? Yes. Are you going to do it? Yes. Is he going to do it in you? Yes. Do you have to be there the whole time? Yes. Is it going to hurt at times? Yes. Is it going to be good? Always. In one of the Harry, po Harry Potter books, they're time traveling, which if they had just done this earlier could have fixed a lot of problems, but whatever. They're time traveling, and there's this time where Harry Potter is about to die, which also would have ended the books. Um, and he sees himself come save his life by doing some really like amazing stuff and so you experience this the first time he shows up and saves his own life then later because of time travel he shows up as this version of himself and does the really cool thing to save his own life he's hanging out with his friend afterwards and she says how did you do that and he said well i knew i could do it because i already saw myself do it does that make sense? And she says, no. That's right here. I'm pressing on to be made perfect because I already see that he's going to make me perfect. 
I'm repenting because I know that he's working repentance in me. I'm showing up, I'm doing the stuff, I'm obeying because I know that he's working obedience in me. I'm empowered to do what I'm supposed to do because I know that I've already seen that he's going to do it in me and that one day I'll stand before him holy, blameless, above reproach, that on the day of Christ I will be complete so I press on towards completion. And the reason I press on towards completion is that he's already promised to do this and he's going to get me there. I already know I'm going to win, so I run the race race to win. Does that make sense? No. Does it work? Yes. That's how this plays out. That you take courage from the fact that Christ is going to complete what he says he's going to complete, and then you walk with him in it. So he says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So at the day of Jesus Christ, and we're going to look down at verse 10 and 11 because this idea comes back up. So this is where he says, I pray that he works this in you so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. There it is again, the day of Christ. I want you to know two things about the day of Christ. If you belong to Jesus, if you've placed your faith in him, if you are a partaker of grace, which means Jesus has done the work and is doing the work, not that you are a partaker of your own good works or your own good effort or your own righteousness. That's not what it is. It's a partaker of grace. On the day of Jesus Christ, there are two things that you need to know about yourself on that day. If you belong to Jesus, this is a reality. We're just peeking into the future. There are two things that are true about you on that day. One, you are pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Come on. Good job, y'all. Pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness. That's what we want. Don't you wish when your group was like, hey, we're going to get together, we're going to spend some time just looking at ourselves, kind of repenting of sin. Don't you wish that you could with all certainty just be like, oh, that's not a thing I have to do. I'm pure and blameless. I don't know if you have noticed, I'm filled with the fruit of righteousness. He's working that in us. Part of the process of that is repentance. Which repentance is a joy that is given to us that we could let go of things that are bad and take hold of things that are good. I heard somebody say, birds fly, fish swim, Christians repent. This is something that we get to continually do as we work on towards being more like Christ. But on that day, when he lays the world bare, and you would be completely exposed in your sin, if you belong to Christ, you're covered by his blood, you're filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. He's accomplished it, but you're filled with it. So on that day, if you belong to Jesus, you are pure, blameless, and filled with the fruit of righteousness. And it says, to the glory and praise of God. That we are praising God. That he does this work in us so that he gets the glory. We get the results of it. We get the joy of it, but he gets the glory. We've said this before. When we get to heaven... We are not singing praises to our own names. I will not stand up and sing glory be to Chet or Chester. I don't know what name you have to use when you're in heaven. I don't know if it's a nickname situation or like, you know, given name, whatever. I won't do it. It I won't have earned myself the opportunity to be there. I will not be there by my own works. I will not be there by my own goodness. I will not be there by my own intentionality or my morality or anything. 
I will be there because of the work of Christ. And so when we gather there, all praise and all glory goes to Christ. We sing his name because he is the one who has accomplished this for us and in us. All glory be to Christ. There's one name that's sung and shouted in heaven. And let me tell you something that you need to know about praise. First thing you need to know about praise is that all genuine praise, true praise, includes genuine delight. True praise includes genuine delight. Praise without delight is flattery. This is really good. Mm, of all the meals I've eaten, this is one of them. Tastes like someone cooked it. And we're trying to find a way to be nice, but we don't have anything really good to say. When we get to heaven, when you actually genuinely praise something, when you actually genuinely enjoy something, it just falls out. If you're eating something really good, sometimes you just make a noise. It's a little weird for the people around you. You bite into it and you go, mmm. And it's like, okay, take it easy. We get it. You like it. Stop. Somebody starts dating somebody, and that's all they want to talk about. That it just falls out. There's genuine delight, so there's genuine praise. So all true praise includes genuine delight, which means that if we're there praising the Lord, we are delighting in the Lord. Second, the best praise and the moments in life right now when you are the most free is when you are caught up in, joy, in enjoyment of something else other than yourself. There's a true self-forgetfulness to genuine praise that brings freedom. That there are moments in life where you stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon and you just stare. When you hear a certain type of music and you're just swept away, you don't exist anymore. You're just getting to participate in the music. You're eating a meal and you just, you're able to just enjoy the meal and not think about yourself. Being praised, we all like being praised and there's a place for it. But there's something about receiving praise that is never quite the same, never quite as enjoyable as actually being swept up in genuine praise for something else. It never hits the same place. And so what you need to know about that day, if you are in Christ, is on that day you are whole. Nothing out of place. Nothing there that shouldn't be there. You're complete. Nothing that you're dragging behind you. Nothing that's looming over your head. You are delighting in the Lord. Genuine delight. And you are free from yourself. That's a good day. That if you belong to Christ, you're free, you have joy, and you're complete. And if you belong to Christ, that stands as the finish line marker of your life. And it can't not stand that way because you can't escape Christ. You can't outsend him. You can't outrun him. If you belong to Christ, you are in an unpluckable hand. You will be there. You can be the worst person in your community group. On that day, you're complete. You're whole. You're in Christ. Made wonderful. Delighting in him. Singing his praise. Completely free from yourself. 
You can have day after day, month after month, year after year of struggle and pain and hurt where you're hurting others, where you're wrestling with the Lord, where you're fighting him over your sin. And on that day, you will be standing complete in Christ because he is the one who does the work. That is the reality for you. So we press on towards it that we might enjoy and delight in that day when we stand to the praise and the glory of God through the work of Christ. And that's the truth. That's the reality for you if you belong to Jesus. The band's going to come back up. I want us as best we can to put this in our mind to see this. This next week on Thursday, I get to go to the beach with my family. This week's going to be a good week. All week, not, not just when I get to the beach, all week leading up to the beach. Because it's going to be hard to make me sad because on Thursday, I get to go to the beach. You know that. School's about to be over. You're about to get to go on vacation. You just keep stuff happens and you go, well, it's about to be over. <laughs> I'm about to be at the beach. I'm about to be on vacation. This class is about to be over. This teacher's the worst. But guess what? Only for another week. And the reality for us in Christ is that we get to look forward to that day to give us courage and strength in this one. That we can face this day because of that day. And this day actually gets swept up in that day to make that day more glorious. That this day actually stands in testimony to the goodness of Christ to bring you along. To bring me along. That when we stand and praise Christ, he's actually praiseworthy because he got us there. How powerful, how good, how loving, how gracious did he have to be to do that? Oh, infinitely. He is good. And that day is a glorious day when we stand complete in him. Some of you are tired. Tired. Tired of your sin, tired of your struggle, tired of your pain, tired of your weakness, tired of your depression. You're tired. It's labor and work to get out of bed and to make it here on Sundays. You don't even know how many songs our church sings because you've only ever made it to the one right before we start preaching. Because you're tired. Well, on that day, there's nothing out of joint, there's no exhaustion. Your lungs never tire of singing the praise of Christ. You're complete. Some of us are sad. We're just down. On that day, you are swept up in a joy that you cannot fathom. That your best moments right now are just a taste, just a hint, just the scent of what's going to be tasted at that time. Some of us are anxious and we're worried. Well, there's a day when you are a conqueror so that we're more than a conqueror now. Jesus says that in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart because he's overcome the world and that we get to stare at the end and go, I don't know how it's all going to play out, but I know what the scoreboard's going to be at the end of it. I know where I'm going to be at the end of this. When I was in high school, my wife, she wasn't my wife in high school, I was playing my senior year of football, and she was making a scrapbook. So it turns out it was a great, great scrapbook. It was a really kind, thoughtful thing for her to do. It turns out she was a keeper. She was making this for me, and we were in a game 
And in the first quarter, the team that we were playing was up on us by three touchdowns. It was 21-0. It was not going well. And my younger brother took the camera from her and took a picture of the scoreboard and sat back down. And she said, why, why did you do that? And he said, it's going to look really good in your scrapbook when they come back and win this game for us to have seen that it was 21-0. So the home game, so the scoreboard says 0-21. And there's a picture in the scrapbook that says 7-21. And there's a picture in the scrapbook that says 14-21. And there's a picture in that scrapbook that says 21-21. And there's a picture in that scrapbook that says 28-21. And he was right. That 0-21 actually just looks really good because you get to see a 28-21 later. And the reality is that for some of you right now, in your exhaustion and in your sadness and in your depression, you need to just take a picture. Because if you belong to Christ, this day is going to look really good when you stand complete in Him. When you stand before the King made pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ to the praise and glory of God, this day will just be a testimony. It'll just be a moment in time that points and screams the name of Christ for all eternity that you can look back and go, he got me from there to here because he's good. So let's press on. We know where it ends. Let's go. And let's cling to Christ as we go knowing that he who is faithful will do it. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you're faithful. And we pray that you would help us to press on to make it our own. But we are not perfect. It's not ours yet, but we are yours, so it will be ours later. Lord, you've made us yours through the work of Christ. May we cling to you and praise you, and may we work and obey as you empower us to do it. And God, for anyone in this room who on that day will not stand complete in Christ because they have not partaken in grace, that they will stand in their own work, in their own sin, Lord, we ask that by the power of your Spirit, and your Spirit is in this room right now moving, we pray that by the power of your Spirit that you would convict and that you would help them to repent so that they might place their faith in you and not themselves, so that they can stand with the chorus of the redeemed, screaming Christ is glorious at the top of their lungs, free from themselves, free from their sin, and made complete in you. Oh, Lord, work through your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.